It's good seeing you guys this morning. Uh, my name's Kyle, so if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. Uh, as Jasper said, we're just honored that you choose to worship with us this morning. We ask that you make yourself at home. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now, we'll get, we'll get rolling on John 8 here in a minute. Um, we've been in the series that we're calling John, Seeing Jesus, Finding Life. Uh, we took that from John chapter 20 where John says the purpose of this book is that you would see that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, and that having seen Him, you'll find life in His name. And so that's the purpose of this series. Uh, but before we get into that, I really just need to take a moment to kind of, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> uh, we don't call them business meetings because we just don't do business meetings, praise the Lord. And, uh, and so what we do, though, is, is we take moments at times on Sundays to just inform people about things that are going on. And so all of you are well aware of all the great things that are happening at the church, right? We're, going to be moving in a couple of weeks. We hope to have our first service in the new property on uh, March 25th. Many of you know it's two weeks from today. So that means today and one more service in this building. That's, that's bittersweet. Um, it's exciting about because of where we're headed, but it's, it's bitter in the fact that this place has just been so good to us. Uh, and there's a lot of great memories made here. So, um, but I wanted, I wanted to take a moment and, uh, and just kind of think through some of this stuff together, just kind of catch everybody up to speed. And uh, first of all, thank you for being here today because uh, it's Time Change Sunday and it was rainy. So that's like double whammy for church attendance and you guys came anyway. So uh, bonus points or whatever you get for doing that. Thank you. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, so as an elder-led church, uh, I mentioned a moment ago, kind of in joking that we don't do traditional business meetings. As an elder-led church, uh, what we do is uh, elders lead, uh, and, then, and then we kind of inform or we work together with teams on those things. And so this is kind of an informative process. But let me, some of that, some, for some of you, elder-led may be an unfamiliar term. So let me just talk to you about what elder-led means. First of all, elder-led does not mean elder-ruled. Uh, now, some of you may be familiar with churches that operate on like a, a board model, where you have a board that oversees the church, and whatever the board says goes. All right, well, that's not how we do things here, all right? Uh, we believe that the Bible teaches a plurality of elders, meaning that there are uh, multiple men who serve because they are called and qualified to serve as elder, okay? We get our calling and our qualification from 1 Timothy 3 and from Titus 1, all right? So we are elder-led. We are not elder-ruled. The elders have, are men who have devoted themselves to guiding the church not ruling the church, uh, with the help of deacons. We also have faithful deacons here. We have a finance team who helps God with finances, just people who are gifted to think about those things. Um, and then uh, certainly with you all, you all as the congregation, as the body that make up this church. And so the elders certainly set the course spiritually. They're going to set the course, and everything's going to flow from that, where we want to go spiritually, that direction. Uh, but that does not mean that we're going to drag people along on things. Amen? There's going to be a lot of patience. There's going to be a lot of safety. We talk about the gospel plus safety plus time all the time. And, and that's what we're going to do. They're going to be very gentle 
in the way we lead. So again, it's not a board, it's not a CEO type model, it's a plurality of men leading the church. Um, so who are they? Who are these elders? Well, Jasper, Jack, the guy who was leading worship a moment ago, him and I serve as staff elders, meaning that we're on staff pastors. We are paid by the church to be staff guys. And so we serve in that role. But the vision of our church and, and what we, uh, four years ago when I got here, one of the things we said we wanted to establish, or nearly four years ago, one of the things we wanted to establish was a plus one lay elder to staff elder ratio, at least, meaning that there needed to be at least, at all times, one more lay elder, somebody who's not on staff, serving on the elder team so that staff guys can't just run the roost, can't just do what they want, right? There's always a plus one model. So um, at the beginning of 21 days of prayer and fasting back in January, we approached four men about entering into the elder candidacy process, which is a 12-week, somewhat rigorous program designed to help a man confirm the calling in himself, but also to have that calling affirmed by this group of other elders. All right, and so we, here's the, the four guys we approached about that. One was Corey Cheatham, Alan Garrett, Seth Penner, who had previously served as an elder, and now his job affords him the ability to, to do it again. Uh, and then Brother Sam Sharp. And so these four men have been asked to enter this program, to go through this with us, and they've all accepted. And so uh, we started this process a few weeks ago, uh, just with a lunch and kind of an introductory time together. And then last week, we started meeting at 6.30 in the morning on Sundays. Whew! And that's been tough, except for Patricia made cinnamon rolls this morning. That was amazing. That's, that was reason enough to wake up right there. And uh, anyway... So all these guys have accepted, all these guys are going through it. I mentioned their names to you because I want you to be praying for them, all right? I want you to be thinking of them. Because they're candidates does not necessarily mean that they'll get to the end of that process and say, yeah, I, I believe the Lord's calling me to serve as an elder. It's just to help them affirm and, and confirm that calling. Uh, our hope is certainly that it does. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll keep those names before you and keep asking you to pray for them uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but what we did was is we brought them in and we said, hey, let's, let's go ahead and do this study. Let's go through these things to be equipping that way. But let's also do, um, let's have normal elder meetings too, meaning that let's talk church business. Let's work through some things together. So we'd had this idea for quite some time, uh, for about three and a half years now uh, at least, but even kind of before that, from my understanding, about changing the name of the church. And so the reason uh, that we wanted to have this conversation is because we're moving into a new building. It, it, you're going to have to buy all new signage. You're going to have to do lots of things, and it kind of gives you the opportunity to do that. So what we decided was let's change the name of the church to New Life Community Church. You take away the magnolia at the end, you add community in, and, uh, and, and then you end up with essentially the same name. That, the logo there. Most of you, had I not drawn your attention to it, probably would have never noticed, <laughs> uh, right, if we're being honest. But I want to talk to you about why, why make this change. Why, why do we think we should do this? Well, one, it better communicates who we are and what we're about as a church body. In the name, uh, you have new life, which is what we say we're devoted to. We're devoted to making disciples, which means that you're 
uh, seeing people changed, raised to new life in Christ. Uh, and then it, it, it has the word community in it, which is what we're definitely about here. You don't stick around here long without realizing that we're about community, that, that we're about saints joining together for worship, for home groups, for meeting in homes, all of those things for encouraging one another. We talk a lot about being refreshed by one another. Being, and, uh, and so you have that. It's, it, it is our mission statement. It's on the front of your worship guide. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who grow in their faith in Jesus and their love for one another. Amen. So we think New Life Community Church uh, better describes that. It's a better way to tell people who we are. The second reason is it does distinguish us, and most of you may not even be aware of this, some of you may be, but it does distinguish us from the larger NLC conglomerate of churches in central Arkansas and beyond. Now, at one time, this church went through a really difficult time. This was back in early 2009, if, I, if I'm getting my dates right. Um, there was a pastor who fell, and... Uh, a leadership team that was just left in disarray, a new leadership team. And so um, there was the pursuit of becoming a new life church, becoming one of these campuses. And it went really far in the process. And then through various things, uh, I think the Lord's provision, honestly, um, it, it just didn't happen. And so we, uh, they ended up offering an affiliate role to the church which allowed them uh, to, to be able to help the church out uh, in the meantime of this fallen pastor. In fact, Matt Green, I think, benefited uh, at some points greatly from that initial relationship, just knowing that there were some people to help. The church, uh, New Life, was good to us and helped during that time. But we never were, uh, we were always autonomous from them. It was never, uh, we're never sharing finances, none of those things. And so as the church under Matt's leadership and, and as the church progressed and moved forward, that relationship distanced. And so it became that we were 100% autonomous from them, and, uh, but we still had the name from that initial name change. Uh, and so uh, let me get back on my thoughts here. And so now... Nearly seven years after, well, nearly eight years, I guess, after that initial change, um, the church is in a very healthy spot. The church is doing really well right now. Uh, we are standing on our own, and, uh, and so it just makes sense that this is the time to do this. Now, like I said earlier, this isn't really a new thought. This is something that's kind of been entertained uh, for years. Um, but with the move, it does give us this chance to make the change. I think the name is great. I hope you think the name is great. I hope you're okay with this. I don't want this to be awkward or weird for anybody. There's no reason for it to be that way. It's simply a church name, right? This is not uh, anything to, to really get worked up over. And so uh, I think it's great because it keeps us new life, which is what most of you call us anyway, right? When you're talking to somebody, hey, I go to new life, all right? Nobody's adding church magnolia to the end of that. They're just saying new life. So we get to keep that but it does add the better descriptive word of community instead of magnolia. So now, here's the part I really wanted to get to with all this, because uh, there is a lot happening. I, I want to reassure you that a new building, a new name, does not affect who we are as a church. 
Amen? This church is made up of you. You are what makes this church great. You and so many who aren't here today are what make this church so wonderful. So these things are minuscule, though they should be talked about and addressed. But I want to encourage you that nothing's really changing, okay? Uh, nothing different is going to happen. It, the mission of this place is the same because I believe that it's by God's grace uh, in our dedication, His generosity through our dedication to this mission that has gotten us to the place where we are right now. Um, but here's what we do need to be aware of. We are going from a not-so-great-looking-on-the-outside gray metal building to an old established church building, all right? That's been there for 50-plus years from my understanding. And, and so the, there are going to be differences in the way traffic flows, in the way that the rooms feel, in the way that all of that. Now, a lot of it we're celebrating. We don't have to hear kids. Not that we don't want to hear our kids, but we don't want to hear our kids right now, right? And, and some of you have told me, man, I can hear my kid all through service. I don't hear a word you're saying because I'm just worried about my kid. And I get it. I understand. So we're, we're getting to move beyond that. We're getting to, to go and enjoy a new property. Um, but like I said, it is an old church building, so there's a lot that needs to happen aesthetically. There are a lot of cosmetic changes uh, that we want to make to make it feel like new life, right? To, to get back to this feel. And so um, those things will, will be done. We have a really long list of things we hope to do, but not all of them can happen at once uh, because we need to be good stewards with uh, the resources that we have, which comes from your generous giving. So we want to be good stewards with that. Uh, we want to spend money wisely. We want to do it well. We want to do it also, though, in a way that does change the look of that place to where you walk in and you're like, yeah, this is new life. All right? So, so I'm asking, I bring all this up to, to say, let's continue to move forward with unity. Amen? That, that this Holy Spirit-empowered unity like you read about in the New Testament church, let's continue to move forward with that. Um, and let's be patient also as things are different, uh, as you have to walk down a long hall to take your kids to a classroom, as uh, you experience a little bit larger room that you sit in, let's just be patient with these things. Let's realize that overall, this isn't a big deal. Here's what I want you to know, that uh, when you pull up to NLCC in a couple of weeks, Brother Bobby and others are going to be there to open the door. Amen? Coffee and donuts are going to be ready, just like they always are. Teachers and workers, the same ones, will be waiting on your children. Ushers and greeters, the same ones you see now, will be there to greet you and to help you find seats and all of that. The same worship team, maybe even a little larger because we'll have more room, which would just be fun, uh, will be there singing and helping you lead, uh, help lead you to singing about Jesus. I'm going to be there preaching the same gospel-centered message that we preach every week. Amen? All of these things are staying the same, and so I have no doubt that you'll leave on March 25th with your heart having been refreshed because you were in God's presence and you were in the presence of His people. Amen? And that's what's most important. When I think about new life, I think about the people. It's got very little to do with the building. It's got nothing to do with the name, uh, and, it, and it's you guys. And so I just want to encourage you in those things. So invite everyone you know to come to celebrate with you what God's doing in your life, what God's doing in this church. And uh, 
And let's keep pursuing Him together. Amen? Amen. If you have any questions about any of that, uh, feel free to come and talk to me, or Jasper, or Alan, or Sam, or Corey, or Seth. Amen? We're, we're glad to answer any questions. Not a problem. We have no problem with questions. I want all your questions. You guys don't ask enough questions, in my opinion. But Well, a few of you do. A few of you can stop asking questions. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, let's pray and then let's preach. Amen? Let's thank God for what He's doing here and uh, ask that He bless us as we move forward. Father, we love You. It is an honor to serve this church, to serve these people. Lord, we praise You for the Holy Spirit-empowered unity that this place has. God, I thank You for the family vibe that, that I get here. I thank You for the community. I thank You for... Uh, the new life that's been experienced by so many. Father, we ask that you help us to continue on that mission, that as things change, as uh, we deal with a new environment, new spaces, all of that, uh, Lord, help us to just do it gracefully, patiently, um, and, and help us to do it faithfully, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice for our sins. God, we thank you for your provision and all these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys for, for that time. So, in his work, The Republic, there was a guy named Plato who was a philosopher, and he uses this illustration that I ran across recently reading a book, and I thought, man, that goes really good with the sermon this week, so I just want to bring this out. He uses this illustration that's kind of become famous. The illustration is Plato tells of these men who are trapped in a dark cave. They receive warmth and light from a small fire in the cave, uh, but they can't see the fire. All they see as they're trapped in this cave is this flickering of the shadows against the wall from the fire. So they know something's there. They're just not sure what. And then it's not until they're freed from the cave and they come out to see the light of day that they realize and they can see what reality really is. And while they're trapped in the cave, they confuse the shadows on the wall for reality. They think that that's, that's the best light that can be, is this flickering on the side of this cave when the sunshine is just beyond where they're at. And so I want to think through this together because I think this is a great example of our world today. People are so satisfied with the light on the cave wall that, that they're not interested in the true light that can be found beyond the wall, be, beyond the walls of the cave, outside the cave. And so here's, here's kind of where I'm going with this. I think Jesus is the true light outside this cave that we're all born into. When the Bible speaks of the world, it speaks of the world as being dark. It speaks as Jesus being the light, and that's where our text is going to take us today. And so I just want to read this to you, John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, we'll read down through 30 and, and just watch this dialogue. It's fascinating. So again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my Testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. 
you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not that I it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two peoples is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. All right, so they're the recalling back in John chapter 5, Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, then my testimony is not true. And he's referencing an Old Testament law which said there must be two people bear witness uh, to make something true. And so immediately in John 5, he says, but I don't bear witness about myself because I and the Father bear witness about who I am. And then again here, they're trying to trap him. Uh, always trying to trap Jesus. They're saying, you're bearing witness about yourself. He's like, no, I've already told you. I don't bear witness about myself. It's I and the Father who bear witness about me. So they, they move on and they want to ask uh, another question here. In verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? <laughs> Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Those things are just fascinating to me. Jesus is in the temple. He's in the treasury part. And they could easily arrest him if God were not restraining them because Jesus' time had not yet come. That's just cool. Anyway, 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, well, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus says, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Are you people not listening to me? He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true, and I declare to the people what I have heard from Him. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. When He talks about being lifted up, He's talking about a couple of different things. Uh, it's, John likes to use these phrases which have double meaning. He does it all throughout His Gospel. But uh, here's what this one means. He's referring first to being lifted up on the cross as the one who's going to give his life for us. And then he's referring also to the resurrection, being lifted up finally forever uh, in glory. Anyway, verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Praise God. So, at first glance, it appears that Jesus is starting with this message. I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. And then it's like the Pharisees distracting from his original message of being the light of the world. It's like he wanted to get into something and the Pharisees distracting. But I think that his dialogue is not one big distraction. I think it becomes the point of what he was trying to say. I think the Pharisees help him prove the point that he is the light of the world because what they're showing is that they're stuck 
in darkness. They're stuck in this ignorance about who Jesus is, who God is. And so Jesus even tells them at one point, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. So it's just as we see in the world today around us uh, and, and sometimes even in our own life that people are ignorant about who God is because they're ignorant about who Jesus is. See, John 1.18, if you'll remember back weeks and weeks ago, John 1.18 says this about Jesus. says, Jesus has made God known. So Jesus is God revealed to us. He, he is that. And so here's the point of the text today. This is what I want you to know today. You can write this in your notes. Jesus is true light in the midst of darkness. It's a real simple point, but I think Jesus kept things simple for a reason. Jesus is true light in the midst of darkness. Jesus is the light, to refer back to Plato's analogy, uh, Jesus is the light outside the cave. We, we see shadows and glimpses of God, but Jesus is revealing this to us. He's making it known to us. And so often in the New Testament, uh, darkness refers to sin. And, and I don't think it's less than that here, but I, I think it's a little more specific than that here. I think it's the, uh, I think specifically what, what John has in mind or what Jesus has in mind as he's talking about these things is the sin of unbelief. I think he's got the sin of unbelief in his mind. The Pharisees were so content with the cave shadows that they could not believe that Jesus was the promised Savior. Now, if, let's refer back real quick to the dialogue. The Pharisees come and they say, you bear witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're referring to that Old Testament law. And so Jesus says, I bear witness and the Father bears witness about me. Oh, okay, well, where is your Father? And, and Jesus just replies, you don't know Him or me. You don't know us. You're ignorant about who we are. See, they were so wrapped up in their own wisdom, their own understanding, that they couldn't see that all the, all the Scripture they'd been studying their whole life, the fulfillment of that was standing right in front of them. We, we must be careful of getting trapped in our own wisdom, leaning too much on it that we can't see Christ. Unbelief, unbelief like this is, is all too common. It's all too common that we get trapped in our own finite understandings of things that we refuse to see an infinite God for who He is. And in fact, we cannot see an infinite God for who He is. Maybe that scares us. I don't know. So many people are happy to live within their own beliefs even though true light is available. They're not interested in that. In fact, it makes a lot of people angry that you'd suggest that they're only looking at shadows when there's true light available. You start telling people that that's just a, a shadow of the true light. Like you're, you're worshiping creation. You're worshiping something that God meant to point you beyond that to Himself. And, and people get frustrated by this. The Pharisees did here. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees replied by saying, nope, you're lying. <laughs> no, that's not true. Yeah, it's true. I bear witness about myself, but the Father bears witness about... No, who's your Father? 
You know, they're, they're so content to, to, to put God and salvation and the way they thought the Messiah would come into a box that they're missing the Messiah in front of them. And so instead of falling at His feet and worshiping, they wanted to arrest Him. And if not for God's restraint, they would have right then. But His time had not yet come. So why couldn't they see Him as the light? Jesus reveals why in at least two statements here. The first is, He says that you judge according to the flesh. Meaning you judge what you see according to your own mind according to your natural mind, your natural limitations. This is how you're judging the world. Jesus is saying you've got to strip that away. You've got to see things spiritually. And then Jesus makes a statement, you are from below, meaning you are from this natural world, which means you're limited, and I am from above, meaning I'm from heaven, I'm not limited. I'm infinite. And then He says, You are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus is saying what Paul says so clearly in 1 Corinthians 2.14 where he says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He's saying these things must be understood spiritually but you, you can't see them yet because you're not from where I'm from. You're not like me. You you need something. You need a rebirth to refer back to his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's saying something spiritual needs to happen in you for you to see this. So throughout this conversation, Jesus is revealing this about himself. This is what I I don't think we can miss this. Like we're going to want to know who Jesus is, we need to know this, that he is the light of the world because he comes from the Father He speaks for the Father. He is going to the Father. And He is one with the Father. Amen? So He is who He says He is, and none of us can dispute it because He he comes from the Father. He speaks for the Father. He's going to the Father, and He is one with the Father. Amen? These are things that are hard for us to understand. And then in verse 24, everything just kind of comes to this head. He says, I told you, and he's referring back to verse 21, that you would die in your sins. Now, the the Greek word sins there is actually not plural. It's singular. And it's referring there to the sin of unbelief. But he says that you will seek me and you will not find me back in verse 21. What he's referring to is you'll seek another Messiah because you're missing this one. And you'll die in your sin. When we, let me just keep reading. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Unbelief is that, that sin that finally separates us from God forever. It's not the living in the sin that separates you from God forever, it's the dying in the sin of unbelief that separates you from God forever. Living in the sin. There's always hope for rebirth. There's always hope you'll be born again. There's always hope that that you'll see Jesus as the light of the world. Amen? But if we go to the grave in that sin, you, you cannot die in unbelief. Do not go to your grave 
mesmerized by the shadows that are dancing on the cave wall when true light is available outside. Just don't do it. It's just not worth it. There's something far greater, far more warming, far more life-giving available to you than the shadows in the cave. And so the Pharisees ask, Who are you? (laughs) Who are you? It's like everything they're trying to do, you know, recently they, they tried to get him with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Before that, they're questioning him about this bread he created. Before that, uh, they're, they're questioning him about healing a man on the Sabbath. I mean, it just never ends. And so finally, they come to this question, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Man, I hope that all of you guys get to that place where you'll ask Jesus, who are you? And mean it from the bottom of your heart. Would you show me who you are? And Jesus says this, it's just what I've been telling you from the beginning. My message hasn't changed. I am Christ. I am the Messiah. I am sent here on a salvation mission that will not be stopped. I am the light of the world and darkness will not overcome it. You will think that darkness has overcome it, but on that third day, you will see that darkness did not overcome my mission, that I accomplished exactly what I set out for. He says, you'll know this when you raise me up. So not not only... Am I who I say I am? But it's going to be you who puts me up on the cross. It's incredible. Jesus, He's saying, I'm the bread of life for your hungry souls. I'm living water for your thirsty souls. I'm the one who was sent to save souls from hell. This is who I am. Just as I've been saying from the very beginning. So then I think the question is, what must you do today? You must believe that Jesus is the light. Believer, unbeliever, wherever you're at in life, you're on one of those two ends, you must believe that Jesus is greater than whatever you're pursuing right now that's wrong. Whatever that looks like for you, be it relationship, be it substance, be it career, be it anything. You must realize that you are naturally bent to enjoy shadows dancing on a cave wall instead of the true light outside. But there is true light outside if you'll believe, if you'll pursue, if you'll run after, if you'll follow. There's true light available to you. So then, what must you do today? It's believe that Jesus is alive. But don't, don't just go there mentally. Don't do yourself that injustice. Don't, don't, don't get this mere mental ascent where you say, well, I believe Jesus is he was probably the Son of God. I mean, there, there were all those eyewitnesses that said they saw Him after the resurrection. I mean, something happened. I, I believe that's probably what He is. That is not belief. 
That's belief in the facts, but even the demons believe in facts and shudder at the name of Jesus. That's what James tells us in chapter 1. So there's got to be something greater than just mere mental assent. It's got to be following. You know what the demons don't do? They do believe, but you know what they don't do? They don't follow. Demons believe, disciples follow. Disciples must follow. It's the essence of who we are that we follow Jesus. So, so you've got to say more than, I know there's sunlight outside this cave, but man, these shadows are cool. It's got to be more than that. You've got to go there. You've got to go to Jesus. Go to the light of life. And if you believe that, you believe that He's the light of life, you follow Him. Disciples not only believe in Him, they follow Jesus. To not follow Christ is to remain in unbelief. And to die in unbelief is to experience eternal death. That's, that's death forever. That, that means in your next life, you will be under the wrath of God for eternity. But, if you believe in Jesus in such a way that you'll follow Jesus, live for Jesus, give up the shadows on the cave wall, and run to the light outside, you will experience eternal life. You know what eternal life is? It's, it's life forever, certainly. But eternal life means that all the best things in this world, the best things you can imagine, are but a scratch on the surface compared to what we'll experience in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, God's plan is it's not just that you're broken, it's that this whole world's broken. Nature's broken. Everything needs to be redeemed. And one day, Christ is going to split the heavens open. He's going to return, and He's going to set everything right. And He's going to execute His judgment. And so true faith moves the soul in such a way that you run to Jesus. It doesn't just entertain the soul. It, it moves you. Without this faith, you die in sin. And so when Jesus says here, because I think we need to deal with this statement, He says, I have much to say about you and much to judge. He's saying, I, I do have those things. There, there's a lot to say about you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. There, there is much to judge about you. And we're all like, yeah, we know that's true. But, it, but he's saying that judgment waits because God is true. God, God will not be mocked. You, you won't live a life appearing good on the outside in this world to get to the end and, and, and squeak by God because He didn't notice who you really were. He sees the depths of you. And if that doesn't terrify us in a way that makes us run to His Son, I don't know what will. That all will be laid bare before the Lord one day. Or it is laid bare before Him now. <laughs> It'll be laid bare before us. We're not escaping that. And I don't say this to scare you so much as I, I say it to raise your awareness of it. 
God will not be mocked. But for now, what we have, we have a broken world where salvation is offered. And it's offered to sinners. It's offered by a gracious God who is not willing that any should perish. And so God's judgment fell on Christ so that a way could be made. And this is what, again, what Jesus is talking about. When He says, you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. The word He was added in our English translation. Originally, He just said, I am. He's referring to the statement from God in the burning bush to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. He's saying, I am. <laughs> he says, when I'm raised up on that cross, when I'm raised up to heaven, you will know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So Jesus' death and resurrection reveal that He is the Messiah. But it is only by faith in Jesus that, that we're saved. I've got um, one other scripture here I want to read to you this morning. John three sixteen through 21. We, we've been through this, but, but we go through so much, it's probably good to remind ourselves. Jesus is speaking and He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. We all know this, right? Now, now listen to the rest of this, because it's, it's huge. For, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. All right, so the judgment, final judgment waits. There is a judgment upon us now because Jesus has been revealed. Here it is. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness. They enjoyed the cave wall with the dancing and all that. They, they liked that rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. It's just fascinating that the coming of Christ has, has created this divide between believer and unbeliever. This is why we say all the time, you have to do something with Jesus. And not doing something with Jesus, you've done something with Jesus. It's saying you love the darkness. You're, reaping, you're heaping judgment on yourself. But in running to Christ, you receive a Savior. Spurgeon said this about the world. He said, this world is dark as midnight. Jesus has come that by faith we may have light and may no longer sit in the gloom which covers all the rest of mankind. Amen. Because of Christ, because of Christ, you can walk this earth with great joy amid many pains and trials because of who He is. Because of Christ, you can give up things that you think, man, that would be pleasurable but I'm going to give that up because I know that my happiness in Christ is more important and I'm not selling that. 
Because of Christ, we have light now. We don't have to remain in this dark cave checking out the flickers on the wall. Christ is available to you. Amen? I'll amen it. <laughs> so here's a couple of application points, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. There's two things for you. One, these are really for believers. If you're an unbeliever, flee to Christ. Won't you run to Him? Amen? If you're a believer, I think there's a couple of things here that you've got to see. The first is, and you can write this in the margin of your notes if you want to, be encouraged to live. Now, I would put an exclamation point at the end of that. Be encouraged to live. Verse 29. This fascinating verse here in John 8. 29. Jesus says, And He who sent me is what? With me. Ha <laughs> ha. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. So here's what I want you to know, that you can be encouraged to live for Christ because Christians can expect that God's presence will be with them as they do what He commands. You're not left alone. Jesus says in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, He says, to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to do all that I've commanded you, and know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are not alone. Gosh, I can't say that without hearing Michael Jackson. You're not alone. You're just not. So live boldly as one destined for another world. Live boldly. This isn't your final home. This isn't your final resting place. This is the pilgrimage to get you to where you really belong. Jesus prays in, in John 17. I can't wait to get there. Gosh, it's going to be forever. But I can't wait to get there. He prays and He's talking about how we are not of this world, that we are of a different world. That our citizenship resides elsewhere, to use the language from Paul to the Philippians. And this isn't your final resting place. This is just a piece of it. Now here's, here's a fascinating quote from a guy named Randy Alcorn who wrote the best book on heaven you'll ever read in your life. Here's what he says. He says, for a Christian, th this world is the only hell they will know. Think about that. For a Christian, this world is the only hell they will ever know. For an unbeliever, this world is the only heaven they will ever know. That's such a sobering quote. So, be encouraged to live. Secondly, be encouraged to speak. Be encouraged to talk about the Lord. Verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen.
Isn't this our great hope in sharing the gospel with anyone ever? That people will believe, they'll see Jesus, and they'll believe in Him. Stop settling for the cave walls and run to Christ outside. What we're reading here is that some took His words serious, and they considered these things, and they believed. And they thought it was important enough to take it seriously, first of all, and they believed. And we know that when they believed, they found life in Christ. Light shines, John chapter 1, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There will be darkness all around, but the darkness will not overcome the light of Christ. So don't be afraid to speak. That The world seems to be increasingly hostile towards the gospel message. Do not cower. Be bold. Live for Christ. The gospel gains great victories amid great opposition. When we look at our world today, it's cause for mourning, certainly. But it's also cause for great excitement because we know that when the darkness seems to be the greatest, the light shines the brightest. Pray that it shines in you. Pray that you live faithfully in these days. So i just leave you with this thought. Let's live and let's speak in such a way that we point people beyond the dancing shadows of the cave wall toward the true light, the one true light source, which is Christ Jesus.